Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. As you know, this is an independent music and arts podcast, and today is part two of the Alyssa Ambrosio interview. I kind of lisped that name. <laughs> uh, I don't have a lisp, but I sometimes I guess I do. Um, anyway, this is I wasn't going to release this episode. Uh, I was going to stay on Patreon, but I decided it's so damn good. Why should I keep it from the ears of people? The song that uh, played us in real quick is off of the Magic Markers' new album, 2020, and the song is called You Can Find Me. It's a damn fine song. And this is a really great uh, second part of the conversation. So please, please, please enjoy. Um, I see, watch so many videos of people being interviewed and they're just like, so you're on tour. And I'm like, okay, that's a question they probably <laughs> don't care about anymore. <laughs> uh, and we like didn't heavily talk about like the scary current reality. And that seems great. I'm so sick of talking about the current scary reality. Yeah. And thinking about the current scary reality has massively upped my margarita making and edible ingesting. (laughs) (laughs) That's like, that's the direction to go. It's like, there isn't like, there's nothing you can do like, except, you know, all of the very clear things you can do. I don't mean there's nothing you do. I just mean like, you're not in, you're not driving the car. So it's like, you can have empathy and you can be present and you can fight really hard. But, like, if you're having that weird thing where you're just doing circular thinking and, like, chewing your hands off to, like, a little nubby bone structure, you should get high. <laughs> like, don't do that. Don't, like, think in a circle and devote your energy just toward, like, this, like, worry and constant negative, like, cycle. It's just... It's the world is is like this. There's a, oh, there's a really good book. Okay, this is a really, really, really good book for that. Um, I thought I, I started reading it at, at sort of like April, and it's um it's this journal of this dude, Victor Lampful. Anyway, he is um, he was a professor in Germany who survived in Germany through World War II, um, survived the Dresden bombings, never went to a, um, wasn't like, you know, didn't go to a concentration camp. Somehow he like navigated, he had a German wife, whatever. But anyway, it's called I Shall Bear Witness. And it is just like the quotidian life and details of like living through extraordinary and maybe really scary dark times. And then just how you're like, Gotta clean the cat box. Like the fucking cat. <laughs> like, like, you know, just like thinking about, uh, you know, like you you have to write. Like you're thinking about the poems that you're writing, and and you're thinking about the work that you're translating, and all of like this work of the imagination. But then like paying bills. But that's all under like the rise of national socialism in Germany. <laughs> and it's like what? It's really good. Highest possible recommendation. Super comforting. It's just his daily journal. Him like constantly complaining about his health and being cold and his wife not doing enough chores so there's not fire in the upstairs grate and his wife is also having hysterics sometimes but they love each other it's very good what is the name of this again it's called i i think it's i shall bear witness um victor Clintwell? i don't want to say it wrong because i'm going to look it up because um I don't want to say it wrong. He deserves better than my butchering of his beautiful name. I um, I will. I wrote it down. Speaking of butchering your name, just to make sure, um, um, can you pronounce your last name? I was trying to say it and I couldn't get it, my mouth to work. I'm broke. It's kind of hard. Elisa Ambrosio. Ambrosio. Okay, I did have it correct, which is rare because I just I get and I get neurotic because I don't want to. I, th- I think I messed up once and mispronounced somebody's name, and it's like, I don't want to disrespect anybody in that way when they've taken out the time to do my... But then I also get self-conscious about asking. <laughs> like, like, I should know this. <laughs> don't ever... Yeah, don't even worry about it. And also, uh, there's so many vowels all at once that I'm amazed that you were saying it right. There's, there's, there's like, a G-I-O that <clears throat> sounds like 
Joe. It doesn't make, it's not, it's a weird name. So, but yeah, I'm actually very bad at pronouncing people's names. So I have no problems with someone asking. And I think it's very actually considerate. And the man's name, which I was butchering, is Victor Klemperer. I will bear witness. Volume one, a diary of the Nazi years, nineteen thirty three to nineteen forty one. And I, I could read it. It was I found it especially comforting because I knew that he survived, you know, it would have been a really tense read if you were like yes. <laughs> like the fact that he just like thrived and like passed away in his like I think late sixties, um, maybe maybe even older. No, he's like in his sixties in the book. What am I talking about? I think he died in the sixties, but he was much older. Um, it's really just a it is a tense book. I mean you're just seeing, and it's just like, he's like, I went to the drugstore today. I saw my first swastika on a tube of toothpaste. Cool. You know, like, he's like, wow, wow this is happening now. Great. <laughs> now we got Nazi toothpaste. Did you read uh, Between the World and Me by Tianasi Coates, whose name I probably just fucked up? No. Oh, no, no, no. That's another thing it's hard to say. Um, no, I, I, nev- I read a long awesome thing about zoning in the Atlantic that he wrote about like redlining in uh, South Chicago and I just stuff I'd never knew before and it was really really good but I've never read anything else by him not a book not a poem nothing just that one essay oh it, it, which I, is the between the world and me is a letter he writes to his son of what it's going to be like to be a black man in America and it is because he's from the he's from Baltimore he's from the streets and he is a the writing is just f- beautiful and then of course what he is speaking of is brutal and it's just it's really really strongly affected me and uh, I wish I could fucking write like that <laughs> like, it's just he's a really good writer he really is there was something I saw like I'm not gonna remember but there was some kind, maybe it was like that kind of like I feel like there was some kind of like left uh, thing where he like maybe he didn't back Bernie Sanders and then some people were like that guy he's lame nobody likes we don't like him there was like a leftist backlash or something I may have my my details all wrong but I you know like I I remember there being some kind of like leftist purity test and I was like ah oh, man did you I don't know if you like like a lot of like uh in terms of like podcasts or like whatever, like political, like I, especially during the pandemic, I was like, I think I have, I'm a person with parasocial relationships right now, like during the height of the like lockdown or whatever that I was like really kind of like getting a lot of like human, like just like, no, oh, this is conversation. I can't see a lot of other people, so this is nice to listen to. Yeah, I was having like a parasocial relationship time, and I remember when the protest started in Minneapolis after George Floyd was murdered, it was like really unsatisfying. Like a lot of the white leftists that I kind of was like so into, um, especially like the ascendancy, like it was just like, yes, like these guys, they're so smart. There's so much like stuff that isn't usually being said. And then there's like this really anemic kind of like high response from a lot of these like leftist podcasts that I sort of trusted a bunch of them. I was really disappointed in like this, like finally like this passive kind of like apathetic America that is like, has so many other distractions like video games and snacks and whatever, like finally like started blowing up targets. And I was like, yes, now is the time. What? You know, it's like doing the things that would actually bring like change because it's like you destroy property and things start, you know, people start reacting. And I know there's lots of different opinions on that. And I, you know, that's not, I'm not giving like a subtle take. I'm not, you know, being like deaf in my explanation here, but I, I don't know. Did you have that? Is that just like something that I, yeah, I got really, I'd listen, I was listening to Matt Taibbi a lot on his podcast. Do you know Matt Taibbi? He's a, yeah, he's, he's a, he gets kind of like that, uh, it's when it, there are some things I like about him. There are some things that I just like, it's sometimes it's like reading like a nineties guy, you know, like a weird, like a, <laughs> he's a really good writer. He's a really good writer. He's a really like interesting and like sort of like provocative political thinker. But he has like that weird vibe, like nineties guy wearing like a, like swing and, and like 
you know, Dennis Leary. I don't know, 90s guy. I don't know how to describe it. It's like just no, 90s that's, masculine. That's accurate. And I felt like he just harps on journalism so much. And I, like, I would, I don't know. He really started missing the boat in a lot of ways for me. And I was, I don't know. I, I've, I, I stopped listening to all political podcasts because I just got really fed up with a lot of people as well. Yeah, it was really weird because, you know, there was like, especially like as Bernie was like, you know, like winning primaries and stuff, there was, there was a little bit of like a, well, you know, FYI, like this, yeah, he's great, but just so you know, like he's not speaking to certain people because of this. And it was just like getting shut down by like the same people. And it was like identity politics. It's not about that. It's about class. And I kind of agree with that more than I do with like, Wow, I just want a woman bombing people like girl power. Like I, I agree with that, but at the same time, it's like you can't just like drown out that as like a valid point. And I kind of was just like defensive of of people I thought were really smart and were really like empathetic. And I was like, ah, oh, they're just like they're being like they're obfuscating for whatever reason that serves them. But that's not true. And then when the protest started, I thought they were going to be like, hell yeah. Amazing, like the solidarity and like the cross cultural, cross class, like like reaction to injustice is like really this amazing, like unprecedented in our time. And it was like crickets. It was like I'm stoned, and like I mean, what is this going to mean in the larger picture? And I was like, are you, what? Are you everything? All the people <laughs> said you were one. What? But I was told you weren't. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I feel like we dropped the ball on so many fronts. I think we had a, a, a prime prime opportunity, especially for like workers' rights with COVID. When because I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, suddenly see? we found out who the essential workers were, literally, and there was this huge thing, this this power. Like, yeah, I agreed. It's, we just there's like a certain lacking class consciousness in America. Yeah, we definitely, we need a new workers' movement. Like, there's no, that was the one thing when I watched The Irishman, but I was just, like, shocked by how powerful pro-workers union and unions were in that era. Like, I mean, that Hoffa was, like, a bigger-than-the-Beatles-type guy. And I was like... I, I, the Irishman, I heard it was really good, but I, I, I my grandmother was... Um, I had like a first hand, like she was, her parents were from Ireland and she was just like, we would go shopping and she would be like, you don't buy it unless it has the union made tag on it. You don't get it unless it says made in USA by a union worker. So I would be like, can I have this shirt? She'd be like, no, <laughs> she'd take me school shopping. And I, there were only like the, like, you know, like the dumbest clothes were like the union made ones. Everything else was like from, <laughs> so I'd be like, Oh, I have Navy blue shorts with buttons on them. I hate them. I wanted the non-union clothes, grandma, <laughs> but she, you know, like, when I was very little and sadly she was kind of seduced by neoliberalism too, just cause we didn't know how bad I, she didn't know how bad it would be, but she was just like, Oh, you know, like, yeah, Democrats, you always vote Democrat, you know, didn't really understand that like stuff would change so dramatically, but she taught me that when I was little and I was like, wow, that's not even a thing within 10 years. That wouldn't even be a choice. You wouldn't have a choice. You couldn't buy it. I don't remember the last time I've seen clothing with a union tag on it. No, now there's a tag that says a 12-year-old lost their finger making this shirt. Enjoy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ignore it. Don't think about it. Sublimate that's, it. I've remembered those union tags. That's really, I, 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 that's something somebody needs to point to again and, and just bring up back that awareness. Because I was, Yeah. it's just like, the fact that like I had a period where I, couldn't find a job. I was unemployed and I was like, I was like, fuck, I got to get something. And I applied at a home Depot and I stopped once I saw what the hourly wage was. Cause I was like, I, uh, it was cause I was like, this won't even pay my rent. I mean, I live in California, so the rent in Southern California is <laughs> insane. But I was like, I would work 30 hours a week and not pay, not pay my rent. And that just is like, insane to me and not have any sort of benefits or blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, how is this, ex how are we not rioting about, like we should have been writing about that years ago. 
It's well, it's amazing because you see when it changes, like the gross domestic product kind of parallels worker pay, and it just they rise steadily together in American history. And then around 1980, 1981, they just work wages stay where they are, and the gross domestic product just like these up into a completely other direction and there's this huge gap between them and I'm like they used to correspond I'm like wow that used to like the 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 general prosperity used to be general like prosperity used to be a generalized quality it would be something that made a difference in a, a person's life when someone said gross domestic product it would have like something to do with your paycheck somehow that's you know that's not my lived experience so I, I didn't know that that was how it is and that it's yeah you're right I don't know why people aren't just losing their mind but instead people are super super into voting against their own interests a it's lot insane. And, I mean I do I do feel like with I do feel at the core of Trump and voting against it I do think it's bottom line is racism i really really do i think he i mean i think it's more complex than that but i think that is a very core thing for a lot of were you going to disagree because i thought so here's why i will disagree i don't think i i mean do i think this (laughs) if you're racist is that who you're going for absolutely (laughs) but i also think i know a lot of kind of a lot of um Trump voters um, that they hate and distrust both the news media and Democrats who they think of as elitist or better than them. And they like, like the folksy mannerisms, the jokes, the speaking off the cuff and the, Oh, maybe he's not PC stuff. We're like, wow, that's intolerably cruel and evil. And and it's a sociopath. They're like, Oh, he made a gaff. That, that guy's just like me. So it's like, um, and these are people from Connecticut, but they still talk like that. No, but, uh, (laughs) They are from Connecticut, people I'm thinking of, so I don't know why I gave them a Southern accent, except for my own deeply held prejudices. Very cruel of me. I apologize. <laughs> um, but they, like, the people that I know, they they kind of, it's like one person literally was like, you know what? I know what he'll be like. I know who he is. And, you know, and like, what? Everything is on fire, and you can't hug people. This is like every. I I am amazed that he still has like a good chunk of people who are like, yeah, good vote for me. It's astounding, and uh, I do agree with what you're saying. I do 100% agree with you. That that he's just you know one of the he's like a likable guy to a a certain kind of person he's a likable guy to. And I just, and I also think like, yeah, there's like, there's a, there's an element of, um, just the same denial that when we were talking about wearing clothes manufactured outside of America and the laws that would be in place to protect, uh, the laborer that are not there, well, we all just make our peace with that, don't we? And we buy our pants that cost, uh, you know, not all of us. Some of us have either the economic means or the um, ability to not participate in that. But for the most part, you know, there's no ethical consumption or capital. We make our peace with it, right? And I think when you think, oh, my God, this guy is so fucking evil and so fucking dark, how could anyone... Well, you, you know, you decide what you keep and what you throw away. You you decide what you make your peace with for something else. If you truly believe all abortion is tantamount to murder, if that's something you just believe that it's murder, well, so he had sex with a porn star while his wife was pregnant. At least I know he's going to fight to overturn that murder. You know, whatever. They make it about emotions instead of about economics so that you do, like, have that very visceral response to what are actually, like, things that if you looked at it in a different... that if it was presented in a different way, you might feel otherwise. I think there's there's a lot of really giant reasons 
and you know, I'm, I don't, I don't think that I am any less of a hypocrite in terms of how I decide to engage with the world. Like I'm not talking a lot about that lady who accused Joe Biden of rape for some reason. Right. You know, it's like we decide what we're going to, what, what the best course of action is with the options that we have. And I don't know, there's a lot of hypocrisy on, you know, either side. It's just like, okay, do you have like a vague, a vague interest in, um, like maybe not like literally being a white nationalist like Stephen Miller and like actually like taking a baby out of, you know, someone's arms and like doing forced hysterectomies. Like that's where the bar is right now. So it's like you kind of just like pick and choose your like which hypocrisies you're like engaging with as a voter yourself. And obviously there's a bunch, but well, that's, that's a fun turn. <laughs> I'm um, Alicia. This has been forced to direct news with Matt. Have a great night. Uh, I fired so much. Um, yeah, let's start time. What do you do? Yeah, I'm thoroughly disappointed with both parties. I don't consider my. I just. I. I. You know, I, the fact that the Democratic uh, platform committee uh, strongly voted against health care for all being part of the platform when we're in a ma- major pandemic. That they all united against Bernie, the first candidate that ever was going to offer anything. Like, in terms of numeric numbers of people who would have been helped, it's the first time since before Ronald Reagan. Like, it's the first time since, like, the neocons and neoliberalism owned our country, the boomers, the fucking boomers, and they, like, they're selfish, selfish, destructive political forces took over. Like, it's, I mean, it's, it, I can't, it's, 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 it's remember when, uh, oh, what's that dude's name that, like, melted down because we were going to all, like, we were going to string him up in Central Park? He was, oh, like, uh, a... Yeah, uh, Chris Matthews. <laughs> I had it in the that was like truly awesome. That was kind of amazing. I could and like the fervor and slap and like hysteronics, these grown ass cosseted wealthy men got themselves into over like very minor social improvements that would be considered centrist in any other country as wealthy as ours. Yeah. Mind-blowing. Chomsky spoke about, like, he said the one mistake, because I, I, he was pro-Bernie, but he was like, the, to choose the word socialism, I'm a socialist, he's like, you, he would have been better off aligning himself with uh, FDR and saying, I'm an FDR Democrat than saying... Because, that would have oh, been... I, I don't get yeah. why... Because there's 80 years of propaganda against the word socialism in this country. It is just, it is ingrained in people. They don't even think about it. And I have friends from, uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I don't think we were about to say it. Oh, just, I have friends who, a friend of mine who's from Southern Illinois and it's very rural. And, and he's like, the word scares people. He's like, they don't see it. They don't, they cannot see it. He's like it. And we're, our country is the only one where like people fear that word. It's like, you know, it's socialism is all over the uh, the world and it's not a, a dirty word. No, and it's, you know, it's how like a functional society with the mass wealth that ours has, that's how quality of life is is improved for for so many people and that's how America was working like pretty well for a minute. Um but yeah, I don't think if he had would a semantic change have uh, maybe garnered a larger swath of if if marketing had been correct, you know, like yeah, sure, it probably would have improved things. But it's like the systematic alignment of the Democratic Party against his very popular candidacy. I don't. He is the first candidate in history to win his first three primaries. Like, what? It was a really big deal to win those three. And it just, I was so optimistic. Oh, it was embarrassing. I was like, wow, changes are coming. What a beautiful morning in America. <laughs> I was the, the same more. exact way. 
<laughs> I was so proud of everybody that was out there doing like like I was like ah oh, this is you can't deny the numbers the people like we're every ah oh, and then it was just so calculated. Um, I think that you're right. I also think for me like I remember a turning point was like oh he's kind of effed was sixty minutes and that he didn't kind of like um, he wasn't able to pivot the conversation from like Cuba reading literacy I don't know like I was like every old person in America is like Tommy <laughs> like, so <laughs> I just was like ah oh, this that was where he needed to go FDR Democrat really hard and um, he was just like too sincere not like he's like just like a, a really good person I think it was so you know he probably didn't stand a chance and he couldn't he couldn't go <laughs> after he wouldn't be mean to Biden like when it got to came down to it towards this last you know he needed to be like this guy's a fucking asshole here's what he's gonna do like he wouldn't fight dirty or not even dirty he just wouldn't point out no. b b bad things about Biden and that was a I think that also sunk him. Like, he he just kind of failed it towards the end there. And, you know, there was, there was actually something that I had never considered throughout the campaign. It was like, healthcare, you guys, healthcare. Like, how can he be not resonating with everyone? Like, if you have a deep mistrust of the government and you have a very mellow understanding of what's like, uh, you know, Medicare for all means, like where you think the government is, um, like you think it's going to be like a DMV when you go to the doctor and that like the governor is going to have access to like your P test. I don't know, what, but people had an idea that like, I don't want the government in my healthcare. That was like, and that was also kind of like, um, where it was like, oh, well, you know, you have a gap with like these, like this, like demographic of people, and it was like a lot of people because of um, abuses at the hands of the government were like, I don't want fucking government healthcare, dude. Like, you're you just you're yelling at me about government healthcare that I don't want. Not understanding, like, not not understanding, like, but kind of like a, a right impetus to not trust the government with your most private information, your life and death, but not understand that that's not the way that socialized medicine works. But, you know, why would you know that necessarily? Why wouldn't it be like every other a functional, terrible experience with uh, <laughs> government institutions you've had? Yeah. I mean, we have, Free. My my little family has free health care from the state, and uh, I live in fear daily that I'm going to lose it. Yeah, I I was living in Connecticut before I moved to California, and I just thought, oh god, like uh, I'm in I'm I'm like touring, and I don't have a job right now, and this is like oh, I'm gonna, it's going to be so expensive. And Connecticut was like, hi, we got you, buddy. It was amazing. <laughs> Massachusetts and Connecticut were both amazing places to be artists in. They didn't do, like, real means testing or anything. They were just like, sure, that sounds right. You want to go get a little physical? How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Are your teeth clean, little buddy? And I just, I was like, wow. So when I moved, you know, the socialist state of hippie California, I was like, wow, it's going to just be the same. California sucks. Their healthcare sucks. I have been like... It's been a bummer. Like, I've been turned down for healthcare twice in the middle of the pandemic because of, like, weird forms. Like, I sent them all my bank information. It's, it's crazy. And so, yeah, it's really, really, really deeply means-tested and weirdly, like, uh, bureaucratic in the way that I hadn't experienced it to be yet. I had a really uh, soft, squishy East Coast experience when I was between work. So, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't For easy. It, it wasn't easy to get, but we. I, I, but I also, yeah, I'm afraid because the our income got upped a little bit. So I'm like, because we had a pretty rough patch where we did not work, where I just did, couldn't get work and was like, just I don't. know, It was rough, so we got full health care. I mean, I have two kids. Didn't pay for either of them. Oh, oh my gosh! So where do you live? We live outside Los Angeles in a town called Monrovia, which is by the foothills. Uh, oh, yeah. I know where that is. Okay. That's awesome. Trader Joe's. So you, are, 
been able to get health care in California. They have been, like, running old Lisa Ragged. I'm, I'm, like, just, I'm, like, baffled. I didn't know it would be this hard. I'm glad that it worked out. Yeah, and supposedly, by law, my two daughters will be health care till they're 18. Oh, that's great. That what a relief for you guys. Like that I know I my friends pay <laughs> the way things are structured now are just, it's just so bad. Like like a thousand dollars a month for like two kids to have for like a family of four, I think it's something like thirteen hundred a month or something. That would fuck me. That would fuck me so hard. That would fuck <laughs> No one even can, like, earn a living wage. And then it's like, oh, also, if you don't want your child to die, this many monies. It's like we paid $2,100 for our apartment, which is a decent size, but it's not like I've got, like, a yard or a... It's not fancy. And then if I had to pay, like, $1,300, i am like, that that would be, like, three-fourths of my income would be that. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's not livable. It's not tenable. It's why people are freaking the geek out in whatever direction they freak out in. Things are not how they're supposed to be. Everyone knows that they just express it in different ways. Unless you're super rich yourself. It's not that the majority of, I think it's like 67% of the people in this country, either side of the aisle, like 60% want, 7% want are for it, for free health care. Yeah. So it's like, what the fuck is yeah. the disconnect with our government other than their greedy fucks? Who- lobbyists, that's it. It's just, like, healthcare lobbyists and, like, campaign contributions, money exchanging hands, and that's clearly all, all that it is. It's, like, the people who can profit from this and, like, a huge structure that's built into America. Um, I think all these back, you know, I'll start with Chappaquiddick. Or Mary Jo Kopechny hadn't died in that backseat of that car, we'd all have socialized medicine in America today. Wow, that's a crazy thought. <laughs> Nixon oh. Nixon was for it, if I'm not mistaken. Nixon was like, and maybe Truman. Somebody else wanted like, and I think they. Oh. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people were for it, and they still managed to um, make sure it didn't happen. And they threw down that goddamn socialist card. That's where they would go there every time. They did it with FDR exactly. too. They were like, "He's this is socialism. This is insanity." And it's like the dude saved the fucking country. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and and it's like it's it's a really strange. To me, it's weird that we're still, it feels like, um, because I know myself to be, like, not the most perceptive, (laughs) because I know myself not to be the most perceptive knife in the drawer, Matt, um, (laughs) I know that, uh, like, for instance, I read It Takes a Village, the Hillary Clinton book that she put out in like the nineties. I had to read that for school. I clearly remember the chapter where she specifically discusses how she feels scared when they first get in the governor's mansion. And she finds out that the people who are going to be doing the yard work were actually convicted criminals on leave from the prison. She's very scared of these criminals that are going to be on the property. But then, you know, she gets to know them, Matt, and talks with them and hears them and feels them as humans and gets to know them. You know, she really feels like she great value was added to her life from that relationship. That was fucking slavery. But I didn't know that 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 was legal slavery. When I read it, I'm not perceptive enough that when I read that, I thought, oh, that's nice. I'm glad that she got to know them. And they weren't getting paid. They were incarcerated people doing outdoor labor for wealthy white people. It was just legalized slavery, and I didn't understand that, like, incarceration in America worked that way because I'm not perceptive enough to have read that and understood that. And in the same way, that's why I feel like there is a sea change in America when it comes to socialism and um, socialized medicine and the idea of, like, something that's better for a whole than just for a part, I feel that there is genuinely a sea change because I'm not that perceptive that I generally have seen a wider swath of people open to certain ideas that seemed utterly 
fantastical slash radical slash insane just even like a decade ago. You know, I see it in my father, you know, he's, you know, in his, in his late sixties and he, um, was like, that Buttigieg seems smart. And I was like, Bernie, and here's why Bernie, and I'm going to yell at you about Bernie until you say. So I, you know, like, did, but he came to his own conclusions. He's very stubborn. He he doesn't like to just, like, listen to some whiny child person that is how he thinks of me. And so I do think there's a sea change. He finally was like, you know what? Yeah, Bernie. He, like, there's, there's something that's changing. We're it's very slow and maybe we'll all die before it comes to fruition, <laughs> but there is something changing. And that's a very positive thing. I do think there's like this, like kind of cool, like mutual aid and like wonderful kind of like different look at the way authority works and who's like, even who is like a friendly person to be a character in a TV show. That's, that's, something shifting culturally in a way that I think is positive and, you know, hopefully the, the really vocal shitty minority of people that are, that's like hopefully like a death rattle of that type of person and thought. And that's why it's so strong and scary. Today, Pat Robertson was like, I talked to Jesus and Jesus was like, Trump's going to get reelected and I can't, I mean, spoiler alert, end times, beginning of the end times, Pat Robertson, call me later. Like, he was really psyched because Jesus told him that Trump was going to get reelected and Hassan, the biblical apocalypse. He looks like a crazy golem in, <laughs> like, he, like, the, like, he, it's a, I recommend watching the video just to feel really weird inside, but this is where we're at. And I'm hoping that all of that is just that death rattle. Rush Limbaugh has terminal cancer. They're not all going to live forever. Are they going to be replaced with people who can successfully execute the, like, they're not as smart as the university of Chicago, neocon strategists that cynically use the evangelicals to create this base of power they're the people who are like genuinely like QAnon has got some straight up knowledge to spit. That's where like, are those people going to be able to like take the reins after this generation of horrible human beings dies? Maybe not. Maybe it's going to be. It, it's concerning to me that like we have so many people who are in high offices who are all gung ho about the rapture. Like they they think that's real and that it should. <laughs> it's crazy. Like that should be a disqualifier. Of, it really should be. It's like, oh, you're okay it, with the world ending? You can't be president. That should be theoretically a disqualifier. Instead, it's it's like a it's real pro for live voters. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, like we hour when we were getting off the phone. That's cool. That's definitely the kind of show that you're you're looking to make. <laughs> uh, I have loved my time with with you, and uh, the, uh, I appreciate you giving me that time very much. And but I oh, it was really really fun to talk. Seriously, I, this is great. Thank you. Well, any you know in the future, if you have things you want to talk about, feel free to. Uh, I, I we don't have each other's information because Drag City kept it secret i think you might have <laughs> it's funny because I, I i deal with sub pop too and sometimes they give me people's information and sometimes they don't and i'm like what am i gonna do like start sending like nudes to people i would never I... unless you know if it's requested and there's some venmo involved then yeah but nobody this, 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 is, this is not a body i'm uh rearing to show off <laughs> <laughs> well here's what I say about drag city artists there is something not me but there is there is like I have tour like there are people that like they form these weird 
intimacies, and I, not just for video artists, they're just artists. They form these weird intimacies, and like sometimes it gets creepy for them. Not because they're like, oh, I'm so popular that all of these people, you know, the paparazzi, just one person will be really like in like their town or something and kind of stalk them and be weird sauce. But like that, you know, it's probably not something that like if you are like. Yeah, hi. I'd like a person to be in my pocket. Like, I think Drag City just does it as like a general rule in case, probably because they've. I'll. I know for a fact Will Oldham has definitely had some wild experiences. I can imagine almost all of those old school, like, like not not Will particularly, but like, you know, I'm sure Royal Trust must have had some crazy ass fans that you wouldn't want to have your contact information. <laughs> Oh yeah, and, and people are yeah, people are crazy. But yeah, for me, you should you. I'll send you my email address. <laughs> like, I will write it. I will write it on um, a wall, and I'm fine with that. Okay. No, I can. Every- I can message you on on the old IG, as the kids call. Yeah, we're. Yeah, we're basically best friends on that now, so it's fine. Yeah, I I but the, yeah, it's weird. I've become friends with a lot of the people I've interviewed like uh I don't do you know Kyle Field of Little Wings oh gosh you know not firsthand but I think that my friend uh Donovan Quinn played a show with her that um I think that I'm right is she from Seattle Portland area no Little Wings is a guy he's a big burly guy from California see I don't know her Tell Little Wings hello. She's beautiful. But you know what? I don't no. know if Kyle. I don't know if Kyle identifies. I, he never told me he identifies as he or she. So I, you, who knows? You, your friend could be correct. No. Who am I talking about? There's like a wing person from Portland or Seattle that I'm like, it's that person. Oh, I don't know. But anyway, I just I like. It's weird. Like I become palsies with a lot of the people I interview, and uh, which I guess is a compliment. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's any, if you, having any friends is kind of a compliment, let alone what <laughs> <laughs> you talk to on, you know, in a professional basis, being bros after that, that's best case scenario. That's really nice. Um, and I thank those people all the time. Thank you for being my friend. I know it's probably tedious and you hear the same stories repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I just have you. Did pandemic make you like, um, kind of like reassert how important your friends were to you? I don't know. For me, it like brought me to a different level of gratitude than I, I've been taking things for granted, I think, a little bit. Yeah, it, it did. And a lot of like just being able to see, I just, I want to go see music so fucking badly. So, I know. I thought shows were mine to be bored at. And now that they've been taken away, it's not there. All right. They took away my thing where I stand there, and I'm like, I wish I could go home. Yeah, How dare true. you make me want to be at a show? I watched, re- me too. I watched Mets did a live stream, and I watched that the other day. And and I was, the one thing I was... I heard that was really good. It was great, and it was like, they must be gearing it up to sell as a DVD because it was like very intricately shot, and it was really cool looking. And I was... Uh, but I was like, oh, this is almost as good as being live, but better because I can just keep the bottle of tequila in front of me and I'm sitting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so comfy. I have, I, have, I have not been watching live cast, even though I really miss shows and a lot of really good ones have happened. I just like, I don't know why. I haven't really been watching them for some reason. Are you, I, I was going to ask if you guys are going to do one, but I guess you can't because you're in different states. Well, well. It's an exclusive that's about to be dropped in this podcast. I'm on the East Coast right now, and we uh, we played on Sunday, and we recorded it. So we are going to cut it and release it, hopefully. Oh, cool. As a live, hopefully. Um, Pete recorded the audio. We had a multi-mic setup, and um, it was so awesome to see Magic Workers and to play music with them. It was. I feel like you're probably talking to a more normal version of me than if we had talked three weeks ago when I was on the West Coast, I was like, meh, meh. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked to people more recently, so I, I'm more functional. But Cal- it was awesome. Caliphone is... Doing, no, are you- oh, I was just going to say, Caliphone's doing a live stream on the 27th, and it's going to be like with a dance company. Oh, 
It's, wow, that's so cool. Yeah, it seems like it's good. I've, I just, because I, I recorded with Tim Rutilli, do you, uh like two days ago, I think. But Wow, it's like in the studio? Uh, there, you mean there? I talked to him. Oh, you mean for the podcast? Yeah, for the podcast. And but he's they're going, (laughs) they're going to do a lot. It's going to be a live stream, and I think they're doing it on a stage in like Michigan. And it sounds like it's going to be. I just think it's really cool that they're like having a whole dance company, and like it sounds like really wild. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I, I'm really jealous of that. I would love, like. It's been years. Uh, I really, I would love to work with it. Just like, I, I do like videos a little bit and I love, I'm a terrible dancer, but I really love dancing and I love watching dancers and I would love to film dancing. Um, like I, I would like to make a video with magic markers where there's a dancer because I just like, it's, it's, it's one, it's probably, it's as close to like, uh, like a foreign language to me as like something you can do with your body. Like it's so fascinating to like, just like it's opposite of what I'm able to do. It's just the opposite of my skill set. And yeah, that's so neat. So it's a whole dance troupe. Where are they from? Chicago. I think it's a Chicago troupe because the California's from Chicago originally. And Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, he was, he's a really interesting, cool guy. But I should, I, we've almost gone two hours. <laughs> well, that's, all right. <laughs> I, I think I, I would ha- say, I you to, go ahead and cut, this, cut, cut the boring parts or the parts where, like, you know. I didn't find it boring at all. I, Kyle Field and I uh, did two hours a, a couple weeks ago. He wouldn't let me, though. I was like, I, I w- came to the end, and he was like, no. He's like, I feel like we're hanging out. I need this. I haven't talked to anybody. <laughs> He's like, we're doing another hour. And I was like, okay. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, I, um, thank you very much. And uh, I, I hope uh, someday uh, you play Los Angeles again, because I did see you in... I think 2005 at the Echo in Los Angeles. I think it was around. Holy cow. That was, yeah, I remember that. I think that's like maybe one of the first times that we, wait. wait Thurston Moore was there. And uh, cause I know he's, uh, cha- was a oh. champion of you guys or I'm not exactly. What, was it around Arthur's Fest? I don't remember. You played the Echo and I, because I was at the record store a block down before the show, and Thurston was in there shopping. A tall fellow. I, I think that that must have been the um, the tour where we played at Arthur Fest. Um, that was such a fun tour. That was kind of my first adult California experience. I'd never, I'd been there as a little kid, and I was like, oh, "What is this place?" That, that's the first time I saw Humboldt, where I would later move. Um, but yeah, that was such a red. Uh, yeah, Echo, Echo Park back in that time frame was really fucking a great, cool neighborhood. Now it's like become bullshit. <laughs> back back then, it was like one of those neighborhoods that there was like you know people would just like open up an art space in a strip mall, and then cool bands would play, and beer would be in buckets, and like pe- people were just doing things, and it was like really lively and awesome. And now it's um, you know all the cool people live there and you don't want to be there because all the cool people are there or the in quotes cool people yeah I uh, my friend Adam Payne grew up in like I think kind of like Pasadena and then like probably like teens 20s 30s uh, in LA and he has talked to me of this thing you speak of I (laughs) seems like a bummer I don't like I guess that happens that seems to be happening in a lot of neighborhoods. I haven't really, I guess Wicker Park is one of those places that that sort of happened, but oh, I don't yeah. really know. Because- I lived in Wicker Park in 92. Yes, I'm old and or older. And nine, I, and again in 97, 98 and like in 92 or 93, like outside my, there was like on the news one night I was watching the news and they're like, we're in a secret sting location where or like, where there's prostitutes being arrested. And I was like, that's not a secret. That's like my corner. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, there's just like, it was drugs on the corner type neighborhood. But man, was my... 
Were you right off the Demon stop? My first place was at the corner of, like, remember the Hollywood Grill? That place on North and Ashland, or was it North? Or, uh, it was like um, this weird little diner spot. But I was behind that, and then my second apartment was uh, near the Blue Stop. It was on North Avenue and Levitt, right across. Oh, yeah. I was, I was just right. Um, I was literally like the Damon stop train would go by the window of my house. Yeah, there was a great bar in that neighborhood called the Beechwood Inn that wasn't as good as Simon's because it didn't have a great jukebox, but it was just as old and shitty and... That sounds familiar. It was like a little side street. It was really. It, did it? Have, I mean, I'm gonna ask. Did it have um, like an old style sign? Like everybody. <laughs> but, I, um, I, I think it did actually. Um, and I like old. You can clearly keep talking. So, all right, all right. I'm gonna. That's it. Okay, that's I'll, it. I'll message you on on the Instagrams. Yay! And uh, I'll tell Catherine. All of my usual distant, cold, icy secrecy about my contact information. It's all free and easy. Now, we've, we've crossed the Rubik on nothing but emails going your way, left and right. <laughs> I'm welcome. I, yeah, Anything. I, I, I interviewed Ann Magnuson recently, and she emails me constantly now. And I'm just like, every time I open, <laughs> every time I see it, I'm just like, ooh, I can't believe this. Cause, you that know, is Awesome. First of all, luckily I'm a terrible correspondent, so you know, don't worry about it. I'll be like, hi, thank you. You'll never know if I'm alive or dead again after that. That'll be it. I'll say hello. Okay, that works. All right. Have okay. a good, good evening. Thank you so much, Matt. Great talk. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Matt.